The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Hello, and welcome to Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and I'm joined by my co-host, the Libra icon, Dwayne. What's going on, Dwayne? Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there, especially my mama and your mama and everybody's mothers, and to those mothers who are no longer here and have strained relationships, may peace be with you. Now, very well said. Good opening, opening for this week's show. And we are joined by a very special guest this week. She is the co-host of the West of Tea podcast. She is Bay Area born, Bay Area proud. Yeah, that I mean. (laughs) It's none other than Miss Nick Jew. Hello. Hola. Hola, que tal? It is very, 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 very good to have you here nick jew um cspn alumni original yeah i think i uh broke my podcast cherry on the cspn way 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 back in the days right right so such an honor to have you here glad that you reached out because uh we had some very significant happenings happen on this past friday evening as the golden state warriors oh they overcame losing Kevin Durant in game five due to a calf strain to win game six in Houston. Oh, in front of Beyonce. 118 (laughs) to 113. That's all I have to say. How do you lose in front of Beyonce? They embarrassed Beyonce. And the mother of dragons, too. (sighs) Like... Beyonce, was there. Beyonce, brown-haired Beyonce, the rare dark-haired Beyonce blessed you. And this is what you did. That's more significant than the Warriors winning. Right. Houston has been eliminated by the Warriors once again <laughs> for the fourth time in the last five seasons. The big story in this game Steph Curry, he goes scoreless in scoreless. the half. Scoreless. He fronted a whole first. No, he didn't front that. We, I was very concerned. <laughs> he was in foul trouble. That's what happened. Yes. But he finishes with 33 points all mm. in the second half. Mm. Clay Thompson, he does what Clay Thompson usually does in a game six. He's got mm. 21 points in the first half. And along with the so-called depleted bench, Kept the Mm. Warriors in it. It was tied up at halftime. And then the chef showed back up on the scene. For what it's worth, James Harden had a game-high 35 points. Chris Paul also chipped in with a series best for him, 27 points. But it wasn't enough as down the stretch, the Warriors' defense locked down the Houston offense. And the Warriors made the shots, particularly Steph and Clay. And they sent him packing once again. Splash Brothers return. So, Miss Nick Jew, there was a lot of gloom and doom around 
the Warriors after game five. The media was like, oh, there's blood in the water. It's going to be sweet redemption because Chris Paul got hurt in game five last year. And Mm -hmm. that's what allowed the Warriors to sneak by. Mm -hmm. And if Houston, they're the team who's been built to specifically beat the Warriors, that's their one mission. This is basically the finals of the NBA, if you want to, you know, look at it that way, because everybody's been thinking about this series all year. Mm -hmm. And it's the same old song. You have the floor, man. It's a different song, actually, because uh, this time there was no KD. Steph barely showed up until this last half and still Harden's healthy Chris Paul's healthy Eric Gordon shooting his ass off from three what's the what's the reason and it was very close to maybe being a sweep because one game went into overtime and Mm -hmm. then game four the Warriors had two shots to send the game into overtime and uh, Steph and Katie both miss. So mm-hmm. it's a, the thing is this year, uh, you know, from the very beginning of the season, it was nobody's being the water warriors. This is boring. Let's break up the dynasty. Da, 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 da. And then, you know, we have not a great season. Like we would have finished third on the East with our record. Um, so we lose games in the fashion that we lose them by 30 points to teams. You would never think we would lose to, or like, we blow the great team out by 40. Um, so it was a very kind of like, I don't know. I feel like since KD has come, Clay has really had some trouble finding his place in the offense, probably on and off the court with the camaraderie thing. So you can see that things are kind of changing. Our bench is not what it was before we had KD. So definitely going into this series, I was a little nervous because Houston's been playing very well. Uh, and then it was just, we didn't look like us. It just looked like the magic was gone. And then right after that game, everybody was, it's time for us to start a dialogue about Steph in the playoffs. It's time for us to start a dialogue. So I don't know. I feel as a reasonable, uh, kind of reasonable fan that I still don't think we've seen a playoff series where in which all three Steph Clay and Katie have showed up in the same game. That's the trickiest thing for them because what I've noticed, especially since they don't have the bench that they once had, was they don't run as much. They don't do as much yeah. fast breaking. And that was really um, a lot of the reason they had success in the first few years when they won the championships is if you miss shots, man, they would get that thing and get out on breaks and hit transition threes. They're not really doing that as much. That was seven seconds or less. The yeah. third the third quarter Warriors, that's when it started. We would go third on a run game. and just all of a sudden be up 17 points. <laughs> like, whoa. Third quarter things. And what happens with this team is they're all good as long as they don't turn the ball over. And woo, we have some turnover trouble this and, year. And it only happens when they get big leads. If, mm-hmm. if the game is tight, like the game was tight the other night, I, like Steph said, he was like, the only thing I did well was I didn't have any turnovers in the first half. <laughs> <laughs> but if the game is tight, they usually are pretty good with the ball. It's like when they get those big leads is when they start fumbling the ball away and getting careless and reckless. And the next thing you know, 20-point lead is like down to 10 and they're in the game again. Mm-hmm. Dwayne, let me bring you in here. Um, Houston. Mm-hmm. 
you know, they've had their whole season, everything since they got eliminated last year, set on defeating the Warriors. Their regular season games, you know, they really showed that they had what it took in the regular season to, you know, play the Warriors well, play them tough. But again, when it comes to four out of seven, they come up short. James Harden, I think game five will be the game that everybody looks to this year that says that that's the game where he should have taken it by the throat once KD got hurt. And he only took one shot in the last like eight minutes. So go from their perspective, um, where did they go wrong and where can they go from here to maybe finally get over the hump? Uh, well, to me, I ain't gonna say, I ain't gonna overreact and say blow it up like I originally thought because that was my first thought. Like maybe it's time, but some of the great, the greater teams have had to go through this dethroning of a previous dynasty before they, before they actually do it. So. Everything was in Houston's hands, and that shows a difference between the championship teams and the wannabes. Uh, Houston had Warriors dead to rights a year ago. There, That was the mission, and mission failed. And now, what I think, where they go from here, what... Well, first, what went wrong? Yes, James Harden was very passive in the series. I think Chris Paul was looking to facilitate a little bit more. I think him taking over in game six when your backs were against the wall, I think that should have been done in game five also. So these two were on a milk carton when you had the golden opportunity. It's like having an open net and you kick the ball or shoot the puck and it goes over the over it, over the net. So you had everything right there. It's like having a bag of money, like, nah, I'm good. But my whole thing is now with Houston, it's kinda, it kind of now makes you second-guess yourself a little bit. Like, can we really actually beat these guys the way they're constructed and They've proven time and time again. You, like you said, it was, what, four times in the last five years, right? Yeah. I think what it's time for Mike D'Antoni to recognize and realize is that this is the evolution of the beast that he created. And he may have to change his offense to more yeah. of a team variety of offense more than just a one person dribbling or waiting for him people. to make the decision to get everybody else involved because I think that's maybe a easier defense to defend once you get games and games and games to look at it and you know come up with schemes right and then you also have and that's a I don't know if my dad's other guy's contract extension or not that's if he comes back because I know this was the last year of his contract. So, uh, you know, I think that with D'Antoni or Antoni, because sometimes he has no defense, so there's no D there, um, where they go from here, they they already get, got a lot of, I mean, Paul and Harden are under contract, Gordon's under contract, and – 
is really going to be after those three. Who do you surround yourself with? And one one person they didn't have, even though he went, he had a putrid game seven. Trevor Ariza, he was their defensive stopper, and you don't have a guy. You don't have a guy like that. I mean, P.J. Tucker, but all he's really good for is a corner three. And then if you space him out, you really can't protect the rim. Clint Capella has a, has been a liability against his team and, to me, will always be a liability against his team. And so you got to figure out how to get somebody, get that defensive specialist and – kind of get a 3-and-D, catch-and-shoot kind of guy. But, you know, as bad as Trevor Reese's Game 7 was, that lasting impression he left in Houston, uh, he was one of those key cogs in that 68-14 season a year ago. Miss Nick Jew, we'll turn it back to you and the Warriors. They had a turn-back-the-clock kind of moment here where the offense went back to the – um, you know, going through Draymond, having Draymond really start the offense, letting Clay and Steph set picks for each other and trying to create difficult matchups to shoot. We haven't really seen that a lot in the playoffs. They've really been kind of just leaning on KD like, OK, he's got the advantage throw it to KD. And they haven't really been playing the style of basketball that really made them, you know, put them on the map. So how good was it to see that if it all comes down to it and KD has to miss more than a week or two that, you know, this team can still put up those numbers and they can still get it done with their core four. I think um, for me, it's just reminiscent of like, you know, we always had a really deep, not always, well, in this most recent dynasty, always had a really deep bench, some dudes that could come off the bench and you could really count on to get in there and like play some great defense, get rebounds and, most of my complaint with us during the regular season is not going for boards. I'm like, why aren't we trying to rebound the ball? Uh, but it, to me, like we always, always, always have to give a shout out to Andre Iguodala. Like he is really a utility player. He can shoot threes. Like he just is the guy. So for me, it was super exciting to see them go back to just like, controlling the pace of the game, the ball movement, and looking like they were having a little fun instead of fighting for their lives, you know? That's a perfect transition because the team that wasn't having any fun that was fighting for their lives, that would be the Boston Celtics. Oh, come on, man. As they uh, took a gentleman sweep on the chin, they won the first game and then proceeded to lose the next four as Milwaukee won game five, 116 to 91 to advance to the Eastern Conference Finals for the first time in like 20 years since the Ray Allen. Yeah. 2001. Since the Ray Allen, Big Dog, George Carl, Milwaukee Bucks. This series basically comes down to Kyrie Irving and his not showing up after game one. Celtics look really good in game one, probably the best game they've actually played in the whole playoffs. And then after that, they just did not show up. They couldn't find any shooting. Uh, Once things got tough, they lost their chemistry. There wasn't as much team ball. There seemed to be a lot of one-on-one going on. Dwayne, we know the Celtics uh, through the podcast are definitely the team that you root for the most in the league. Uh, what did you see as a breakdown in the series? Do you feel that Milwaukee was that much better than you guys? 
or was it just chemistry and the guys not coming together and you know and it showing up when times got tough I think Milwaukee was just better. I mean, let's give credit where it's due. And also blame Paul Pearson. You know, anybody knows me knows that I'm one of the very few that still roots for Paul Pierce because he went to KU and he was a Celtic. So, yeah, that's the reason why. And if you don't like it, we can throw these hands. But I do blame him for declaring the series over and then kind of the Celtics sitting on just sitting down and playing hero ball the rest of the series. And, you know, all they did was just wake up a sleeping giant in, in a Giannis Antetokounmpo. And with that being said, I just, the chemistry issues that played them in the regular season, those were more, that was definitely more, you know, the mood swings of, one Kyrie Irving and, you know, Terry Rozier kind of said it best. He did sacrifice the most because he was the guy last year and he went back to being the sixth man and, you know, kind of hard to get back to that role after you were the one, you were pretty much the catalyst, especially in the, against the same team virtually last year. Uh, but give Milwaukee credit. They took their lumps from Boston a year ago, and they came back and, you know, just obliterated uh, Boston in the next four games after the game one. Um, you know, Al Horford was labeled the Giannis stopper, and then <laughs> – then he went into foul trouble the rest of the series. Um, but the difference was is that whenever whenever teams converge on Giannis, it's the outside shooting. So you got to figure Middleton and Bledsoe, Ilyasova, Miritich, those guys are are the key. So if those guys are making shots on the outside – Milwaukee's definitely a hard team to stop. They weren't making those shots in game one as frequently as they were in games two through five. And so with that being said, if those guys stay consistent and stay hot, and then you add Malcolm Brogdon back in the mix, who's healthy again, and this added rest, it's going to be a very tough, tough out for whoever comes out in those game sevens tonight between the Raptors and the Sixers. So, and then... You know, with Milwaukee being back in the conference finals for the first time since 01, a lot of good times are happening in Milwaukee, especially following the Brewers campaign. And now the Bucks having a great year, a very good within their new building on top of that. So a lot of a lot of pride there. Uh, Mike Budenholzer has done a great job. Um, if this if if I want to keep it buck, I wouldn't mind helping Kyrie packing. He can go to LA, New York, wherever he wants to go. Uh, you know, I was one of those few on this podcast who wasn't a fan of the Kyrie Irving trade, honestly, but I dealt with it, but I don't think he's, I don't, I think he realizes also that he may not be the leader that he thought he was going to be. And now you know, especially since the team 
virtually the same team got to the game seven against LeBron in the Eastern Conference Finals and just ran out of gas. They got there further without him than they did with him. But we'll see what happens. If he stays, fine. If he doesn't, I won't be mad. Now, Miss Nick Jew, you have a very curious relationship with Kyrie Irving. <laughs> do I? Yes, I think you do. <laughs> now, what would, what advice would you give this young man as he made the moves that he needed to make to get out from under the rule of LeBron because he felt like LeBron was trying to be his daddy? And then he said he wanted to go to his own team and be the leader and, and, and have a group of guys follow him. And then he had a bunch of young guys who felt like Kyrie was trying to be their daddy. Mm. Ain't no fun when the rabbit got the gun. <laughs> so in this summer, that's going to be full of turmoil and he's going to get his share of blame and the think pieces have already come out. What would Nick Jew say to Kyrie Irving if she could sit down and just, you know, have a touching moment with him? First, I would tell him not to listen to a damn thing I have to say about sports. Uh, Then I would tell him that he should just go to the Lakers. Like, you were a prodigal son. You tried it out on your own. Just go back to LeBron. Like, in all seriousness, I think – I forget who said it, but somebody said about Kyrie – that he's the type of dude who's like, I have a ring. I have a ring. And that's enough for me. Like, he doesn't have anything to prove to anyone. And I think he wanted to come up out of LeBron's shadow. But then he got to this team that needed some guidance and saw how effective leadership can really help a team. And they were looking great. You know, they were a, a real threat in the East for a while. Um, so I would tell him to, like, pack for 72 degrees and sunny all year long and going down to death row. Now, uh, you mentioned it in your commentary there, Dwayne, that we're going to have two game sevens as we're recording this on Sunday before those games happen. So out West Portland is going to face off against Denver in the most uh, competitive and probably entertaining series as far as shot making and, you know, just close games. And then also Philadelphia and Toronto are going to square off. So Nick, we'll start with you out West between Denver and Portland, which team scares you the most when it comes to having a series against your Warriors? I mean, they both scare me for different reasons. Obviously, Dame Lillard uh, in front of effectively the home crowd in Oakland is going to go off. Um, also, uh, Seth Curry has shown us that his brother ain't the only shooter in the family. So, um, obviously, I'm not like threatened, super threatened by either of these teams. But, you know, anything can happen, injuries being what they are. Um, but I think I would be... I think we have the most chance of being beaten more than once by the trailblazers, I would say. uh, Kenny and Charles Barkley have been saying that if Portland can get to the Warriors, that that will probably be the most difficult series that they could get in the whole playoffs just because Dame Lillard and McCullum, they've been waiting to try to go up against these guys in a series for the last three or four years. They haven't had a chance yet. So, you know, they're going to have a chip on their shoulder trying to prove that they're just as good or better. And that would be highly entertaining to see, 
you know, Steph and Clay can, you know, if they have to be the Splash Brothers for two games out of those, you know, six or seven that they play going against McCullough and uh, Dame, that could be really good. Who are sharpshooters themselves. Yeah, yeah, that could be really, really fun. Now, Dwayne, I'll shift you over to the East where uh, Joel Embiid has been suffering from all types of flu-like symptoms. Uh, he's trying to give it a go, but you know maybe no, he's, he's hurting. Ready to fight. <laughs> maybe he's hurting his team by playing sick. But they've gotten to a game seven. Toronto, they've upgraded their roster, got rid of Demar Derozan, gotten Kawhi Leonard just for a situation like this to finally get out of the second round. Who you got, Toronto or the 76ers? I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Toronto because just just for the simple fact that. Because of this upgrade, Kawhi Leonard has been to these parts. He has a title. He has a finals MVP. He knows what it takes to get this done. And I think you have Danny Green, who's who's been there as well. So my pick for that is Toronto. Um, uh, sorry to my Philly fam that is probably listening. but And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I'll probably get I'll probably get a whole bunch of flack when I go up there in a couple weeks, but I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Toronto on this one, mainly because of what they traded for. They needed an upgrade. You know, DeMar DeRozan, as great of a raptor as he was, as much as he loved Toronto, you know, love the Raptors are like, love don't live here no more. We need to make this Trade, we need to win now. Uh, they trying to prove a point also that, you know, removing Dwayne Casey was the right decision. So Toronto's got a lot on the line, and I think that being at home in the game seven, uh, we should see we should see Jurassic Park uh, pretty much rocking as the Raptors hope on my end should win game seven and then move on. Um, I think the Sixers have a great team. They've had a hell of a run. And this, I think what for them to win is going to depend on what how Jimmy Butler, what kind of mood is he in? Cause I think we've kind of seen how Jimmy Butler sometimes is bored, not being the primary option. I mean, sometimes he's a secondary or even the, tertiary options so you know I'm not sure if especially if MB's healthy he's going to be either the number one or number two option um, Ben Simmons he's been on the milk cart most of the series so we kind of need for him to show up and we'll just see how everything plays out and I think Toronto has the advantage and the intangibles and that's what they built the season around. So we'll see what happens. If Toronto wins this game, this will be when Adam Silver is like, man, this is when we miss LeBron. Because uh, I don't know, even though Giannis is a is an awesome player, and if you watch him, you'll definitely see something you've never seen somebody do before. I don't know if just Milwaukee versus Toronto is pulling a lot of eyes in. It'll pull a lot of eyes to Canada. That's about it. <laughs> Especially since there's no Canadian teams in the Stanley Cup playoffs and the Maple Leafs can't beat the Bruins. So there's that. 
So there's definitely the uh, the part of the NBA that's coming up where they haven't missed LeBron as of yet because these playoffs have been pretty good first and second round. But when we get to those conference finals and you have, you know, the, the pool dwindles down, that's when I think people will start feeling the effects of, man, there's no LeBron in these playoffs and these finals. And I think that may affect the ratings once the numbers start to come out. Yeah. We'll shift over to the MLB Major League Baseball because I'm always glad to have a really big baseball fan on the show. And Nick Jew is one of the biggest baseball fans I know. It's actually that time of year, Nick Jew, where the ACC baseball tournament's about to come back around here Mm -hmm. in Durham. So it'll be, you know, about 10 days worth of really high level baseball being played. And at the MLB level, your A's made the news as Mike Fires. Of the A's. He threw the first no-hitter of the season. It's always a big deal of which pitcher throws the first no-hitter of any given season. And this was a special one because it was the 300th no-hitter in the history of the major leagues. So he gets an extra kudo on top of that. So he'll actually get his you know, name on the ball in the Hall of Fame, which is pretty cool. The second of his career. Yeah, so that definitely puts him in an even rarer uh, air when it comes to that significant feat in baseball. So we know, or some of you may not know, Nick Jew is a really big Oakland A's fan. Like yes. she goes to the games and she takes score and uh, she's always there for the playoff runs. So, you know, she's not new to this. She's true to this. <laughs> and she said that she wanted an open forum to talk about her A's. So Nick Jew, here's the floor. Yeah, most definitely. Thank you so much. Uh, it's very rare to be able to talk about baseball with people. But uh, one of the things that I love about the internet, it's connected me to a lot of black baseball fans, which is dope. Uh, Speaking of Durham, that park, Durham Bulls Stadium's one of my favorite parks I've ever been to. Like it's super better. (laughs) Where's that? Wait, what was that? Charlotte, North Carolina. Best view in in the minor leagues. I'm sure. uh, And that park's like right in the middle of downtown too, right? Yeah, that part was dope. Yeah, I haven't been yet. I really uh, need to get serious about my list of parks that I visit. I just went to Camden for the first time last month, and it was amazing. Um, so the A's. So, like, I've been a Warriors fan for the better part of the last decade, but that's because I really wasn't ever. Uh, well, okay. So back in the '90s, when everybody was, I was a huge basketball fan. I had basketball cards, all that stuff. But obviously the Warriors have sucked for the better part of 30 years. So I didn't really pay basketball any mind until about 10 years ago. But baseball is really the sport that I have loved since I can remember loving something. And when I first started to like baseball, I was an Orioles fan because I really loved like Cal Ripken and, you know, the colors, I think, is what drew me <laughs> to them uh, initially. Well, my brother went to high school with Dave Stewart's nephew, and Stu was at one of their games, and I didn't know who he was. I was a little kid, and I sat next to him for that whole high school football game and asked him a million questions, and my mom (laughs) tells me, she was like, I apologize to that man so many times because I was just talking his ear off, and my mom said that he was like super hyped to have someone so young and interested in the game. So at the end of the game, before we left, I was like, who's because I knew he played baseball. That's what my mom told me. He's a baseball player. So I was like, what team do you play for? And he told me he was a pitcher for the Oakland A's. So I'm like, cool. Now I'm a fan of your team. So ever since then, I've been 
riding with my A's and it's been a very, very, very long time. Since That's an awesome baseball <laughs> origin story. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's pretty dope. Uh, and you know, Stu, he has this reputation for being like really hard, especially on the mound. But my mom said he was the nicest guy. I barely remember the interaction, but she said he was so nice to me. <laughs> That's dope. Um, just to let you know, for the record, Kyle Ripken is the nicest man I've ever met in sports. Oh, I bet. Oh, I bet. Oh, uh, just a gem of a man. I I, I know he came to Durham uh, for like USA baseball and I know he signed 1200 autographs easy in this day that he spent at this ballpark. Wow. Yeah. Didn't matter. Little kids, old people (laughs) didn't matter. And uh, every baseball player is not like that. So it was, he's my hero as well as my favorite baseball player. So to actually have that personal interaction with him, it was just like, you know, it was gratifying because I can't say that about everybody you meet in professional right. sports. So that's true. And you know, the A's are kind of like they've been. I feel like every year I'm like, you know, just give us five years. You just got to rebuild. We got to rebuild. <laughs> um, but I think now with Dave Caval taking over, he really cares about the fans, about the city, about the sport. He wants to get young people back activated into the sport. So I'm hoping um, this move isn't going to stifle us at all. I, I'm just really, really, really happy that management is trying to keep the ballpark or at least the ballpark in Oakland and not move the team somewhere because they really could. That stadium is falling apart. Um, that it's stadium a rough- is a dump. Let's just be honest. <laughs> but here's the yeah. only negative thing about... Wait, 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 wait. Okay. Did you just say the city was a dump? No, I the said stadium. the stadium. Oh, yeah. I was about to be like, we ain't going to do that <laughs> on about Oakland no, no, on no, no, today. No. <laughs> you see, you try, to, you, try to, you try to start a war that ain't even trying to be started. I'm not even from Oakland. Like, that's the thing that everybody on the internet thinks I'm from Oakland, which is funny because where I grew up, we didn't really bang with Oakland like that. But I have to defend Oakland very heartily these days. So, my bad. The, the <laughs> only drawback from the new stadium is – a team like Oakland, they'll have to do like the Marlins and kind of what the Braves did. They're probably going to have to pare back their payroll a little bit. Yeah. So they can, you know, get the benefits of having a new stadium because, of course, it's going to draw, you know, just people just because it's new. But the we only hope. way to be, you know, is to set your team up for the next decade or five to seven years is to kind of not be good for two or three and then get it going in like year four. So, you know, you may still have a couple of rougher seasons ahead, even though they, you know, improve the stadium situation. We had a, we had a fire sale a couple of years ago and I hate to see it, but it it had to be done um, to get some of those guys to better clubs, uh, especially like, (laughs) yeah, you know, it hurts my heart to even think about it, but you know, uh, I see Josh Donaldson out there too. And we lost Coco to injury. Just, it was a tough couple of seasons, but I like these guys. I like these new young guys. Um, Marcus Simeon, I'm actually, I know his family. So that's cool. about to ask you, um, how does it feel that, that your team has like the faces of their team or from our, you know, black players? That's very rare. Right. It's, I think it's just a testament to the club, honestly. Um, it's just people really love playing in Oakland for, for, for Melvy. I think it's just a, a testament to the leadership at the club. Yeah, because Chris Davis is a is a guy that Ooh, 
They need to try to hold on to him. I know, you know, he's he's gonna be a, a major part of whatever moves they make is if they have oh, yeah. to start, you know, looking at salaries going forward. But that's one guy they need to try to hold on to. Well, they did sign him to an extension, so there's that. I think we just we just don't have money. We never have had money. Uh, so it's hard once guys start doing really well, it's hard to keep them. And I don't blame them. I'm still salty about Kyler Murray, but he got yeah, to Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's get into that. Um, I wanted to bring that up because uh, if y'all didn't know, the A's were the team who had the rights to Kyler Murray. Uh they had even reached out to baseball to like, hey, can we give this dude like an extra $20 million to you know incentivize him to come play baseball because of his name and recognition? Uh, they were really trying to move heaven and earth to, uh, you know, get him in their organization. And with his notoriety, he probably would have got fast tracked into the majors, even if he wasn't that good. Mm-hmm. So your feelings about his decision to play football and spurn the A's and, you know, kind of what that says about baseball still in the consciousness of maybe black sports and uh, parents and things like that. I mean, it's a you can simply go to an MLB game and see that there aren't a ton of black fans. And it's very evident why for a lot of reasons. If you don't reach down, you never get the talent. There's not a lot of investment in the black little league teams like that one team that went to the major leagues that year. Or like, hell yeah, the uh, what do you call World, World Series. Series. Yeah. yeah. But it's just not a sport um, that is really uh, given a lot of prominence in the black community. It's not the ball that you carry to be the man. But the money, the baseball money is so long. And you also don't go through the wear and tear on your body like you do in NFL. Um, But I get it. If, If I were a young cat about to be draft pick number one in two major sports. I think the prestige is in, in the NFL and football. He's going to be virtually unrecognizable as a baseball player unless he has a stellar rookie season. And even then, you know, like you got to be an elite level of ball player to be a household name these days. So I get it. I'm just, I'm salty, but I get it. I just, I think, I think the money's better in the MLB. The longevity is better. Um, but if you're talking about being a black man in either sport, I mean, I guess even with its troubles, the NFL probably has the upper hand for that. And that's where baseball's marketing and and how they've always marketed just baseball. They've always mm-hmm. made it where even when they had Sosa McGuire, Ken Griffey Jr., they always somehow made it where baseball was the thing, not the individual players. Hey, we have these guys who are great, but they make our game great. And that's always how they marketed it. And I think that's kind of why it's out of touch in the, you know, black markets, because it's all about the style and the image and the swag and basketball and football do a much better job of promoting individuals within the team, whereas baseball, it's all about just the game of baseball, not even about the teams as much. It's all about just, hey, peanuts, popcorn, Cracker Jacks, seventh and stretch. Yeah. And it's, you know, like it goes to show nobody knows you couldn't pick Mike Trout out of a lineup and he just signed a bajillion dollar contract. Hardly anybody knows what he looks like. Right. Right. So. 
thank you for coming on, Nick Jew. I know that at this point in time, you're going to have to leave us, but we would like for you to shout out your show, give thanks and shout out to anybody you'd like to before we let you go. And thank you once again for coming on to Know the Score. First of all, thank you, gentlemen, for having me on. I definitely invited myself. Um, <laughs> you don't mind that. You've had an open invitation ever since the Warriors won like two years ago. I'm very, right. I have imposter syndrome when it comes to discussing sports. Uh, but I, <laughs> finally, I was like, fuck that. I want to talk. Um, so thank <laughs> you so much for having me. Um, my show is What's the T-T-E-A which I do with my best friend, Reggie, if you don't know us. The original What's the Tea? The original What's the Tea? Uh, we are on everywhere you can get podcasts, especially love some spins on Spotify. Um, and we just talk about a lot of nonsense. If you haven't heard us, we have the tiniest little itty bitty baby sports segment, but it's all thirst based. Uh, it's the Hey Boo sports segment. So. Uh, check us out if you'd like uh, I'm not on Twitter Nick Jew at N-I-C-J-U our show is Good Day Saints on Twitter and again fellas I appreciate you letting me come on um, go Sharks let's do that hockey <laughs> hey. hey thank you again <laughs> for coming on and definitely go Warriors yes let's go Dubs definitely subscribe download her podcast comes out every Tuesday definitely worth your 45 minutes to an hour and they will be your best friends as well. <laughs> All right. Thank you guys so much. All right, Nick. Bye-bye. You're welcome. Bye. Nick alluded to it. It's time to talk some NHL playoffs. Those San Jose Sharks. Hey, man. Sometimes sharks! In, these, in these playoffs, it's better to be lucky than good because they caught another break. And the Sharks, as well as the St. Louis Blues, they win their game sevens to advance to face each other. In the Western Conference Finals, the Boston Bruins, they defeated Columbus in game six to move forward to the Eastern Conference Finals. So those opening uh, round game of the Eastern Conference Finals took place this week in Boston, takes advantage of its power play to score four goals in the third period. And they defeat the Hurricanes five to two in game one. Uh, this was a game where the Hurricanes for two periods outplayed Boston. Uh, they did. But Dougie Hamilton wasn't having a good game from the opening faceoff. And in that third period, he, he took a very bad penalty. They called a very questionable penalty. And Boston cashed in both times. And that was the difference. Uh, the Hurricanes cannot take penalties against Boston because more than likely they're going to score. Their power play is just too good. Right. And, and yeah, so yeah, because of Boston's power play, I mean, it's always easy to score when you're five on four, but the uh, Bruins do make it look like clockwork when they have the opportunities. And, but I think it will be a, it's a good, good thing for the Hurricanes because now they know, hey, we can't. We can't give up as many penalties. We have to be disciplined. When it's five on five, like you said, the Hurricanes are out playing the Bruins by leaps and bounds. And I think they have also learned during this during this run right now how to be more disciplined. I think you know. I think also we always do the rest and rust factor. So I think that was kind of a 
big deal a little bit as well. So it's all about adjustments. You know, when you're in a series and whenever you have a four or seven series, it's always about adjustments for the next game. Uh, one thing Carolina has always done after uh, losses during this postseason run is make adjustments and they turn out uh, pretty well for uh, for the next game. And now, you know, game two, Sunday afternoon in at the Garden as a golden opportunity for home ice to be taken and and I think they have a good chance of doing that as long as they stay disciplined. But maybe they need to wear the Whalers jerseys a little bit too. <laughs> uh, Tuka Rask definitely kept Boston in the game in the second period. Uh, Hurricanes had uh, at least three really good chances to score, and uh, he held them out and, uh, you know, kept the game two to one. Uh, going into the third period, and then uh, you know the barrage came, uh, like we said, off of those power plays. Now the St. Louis Shark, excuse me, the St. Louis Blues and the San Jose Sharks, they began their series on Saturday night, and the San Jose Sharks they jump out fast, uh, they control the game. I mean, right from the jump, they end up winning six to three. Uh, they had a five to two lead going into the third period. Uh, the Blues goalie, this was uncommon for him. He had really been uh, very hard to get, yeah, very hard to get uh, pucks passed uh, leading up uh, through the second round uh, of the playoffs. But man, San Jose, they really did a number on him. So your Sharks, um, you know, they're looking good. They've got the momentum. Um, they, you know, came in here and they've taken this game and they really look really explosive. Uh, so just talk about how you feel about the Sharks getting game one and, and how the Blues can maybe make this more of a series a little bit more competitive. Yeah, it, it was a real – it was fun to watch that game. And from what I from what I got from San Jose in the in game one was how they moved the – how they moved the puck. And their forecheck was amazing. The fourth goal, which was Timo Meyer's first of the game, was amazing because he literally put it through the legs of the defenseman and then made a sweet backhand goal in front of Bennington. And and then with the the second goal, the second goal was just – it was simply a rebound. I think that's what it was. A lot of rebounds were left were left by Bennington and, you know, the Sharks capitalized because uh, Pavelski's second, uh, the second goal of the game by Joe Pavelski, uh, he literally batted the puck out the air twice and and it went in. And then, then he had Myers' goal, the second goal off the rebound. But very explosive, very, the puck was moving, the skating was fast. And I think what the Blues are going to just need to do is just go. They need to play a little bit more physical. I think they were very passive in this game, which they haven't been in the first two series with the Jets and the Stars. And I think they need to kind of just, you know, play play more physical brand of hockey, uh, do the things that they got that got them there to begin with. And Vladimir Tarasenko needs to. Be a little bit more explosive because he definitely was 
a non-factor in this game one. Um, but if anybody can, if any team's good at making adjustments and winning on the road, it's the Blues. So, uh, and, and the Sharks have had in the last two series where they won game one on their home ice, they squandered game two. So we have to see how they respond Monday night when when the series resumes because it's, it's been difficult for them to keep the home ice where they have to end up trying to steal a game on the road to get that advantage right on back. The playoffs in the NHL are so tough to judge just because of the momentums of, you know, who plays well at home and then, you know, an injury can pop up at any time. I mean, Char got just blasted on the ankle the other night and that actually maybe opened up the second period for the Hurricanes a little bit because he had to miss some significant ice time. So it's just so hard to say, especially after, you know, just one game, especially when the scores are so lopsided like this, um, you know, it's hard to get a a true judge. So, you know, it may take until game three before you can actually kind of see, you know, who's, you know, the adjustments being made and the series starting to even out a little bit more. But yeah, the mission for the Hurricanes and the Blues are just to try to steal one of these games uh, today, go back home even, uh, get a couple of days rest, some home ice and see if you can get some good luck, some home calls and, uh, you know, take it from there. Right. So at this point, Dwayne, I'll open it up to you, man, for your final word and your shout outs. All right, so the final thought for me will be the Premier League. Today was the last day of the season. Everybody played at the same time. And congratulations to Manchester City from a Liverpool fan. This was probably one of the best, if not the best, Premier League tile races in the league's history, definitely since I've been watching soccer more regularly in the last four or five years. Um, it was definitely a great season. Uh, Manchester City ended up winning uh, the Premier League title by a single point uh, over Liverpool, 98-97, to in spite of the fact Liverpool had one loss, which was to Manchester City. Um, but a great season for Liverpool, and really a great season for the Premier League overall because – the Champions League final is an all-English final between Liverpool and Tottenham Hotspur. And then the Europa League final is an all-English final as well as Chelsea will take on Arsenal. So the Premier League was very entertaining, uh, very intense, great competition. Uh, as disappointing as it is that Liverpool did end their title drought and won a league title since 92 and actually never um, since 1990 and never won the premier league altogether uh, was slightly disappointing, but there is one game left. So, you know, we have the chance to bring the champions league home and you'll never walk alone. All right, Dwayne, I'd like to just thank everybody who listens to know the score, everybody who subscribes through Google Play, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, or YouTube. Thank you for listening. Please support our sponsors over on CSPN.us. Click on the tab that says keep our podcast free. Do some shopping with our sponsors and also check out the CSPN Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash CSPN. 
My final thought will be just a big shout out to Ross Chastain. Ross Chastain is a driver in NASCAR and he drives in all of the series. So he drives in the truck series. He drives in the Xfinity series and he drives in the Monster Cup Energy series as well. And he scored his first ever career truck series win after 65 starts this past Friday night in Kansas. And uh, it was just pure emotion, pure elation. Um, I had the pleasure of interviewing Ross uh, last year in Richmond. Uh, Very personable guy, great for the sport. Um, He is a driver of an underfunded team, meaning that they don't have a lot of money and they usually drive in the back. Last year, he got noticed and one of the uh, more of the uh, bigger players in the sport, Chip Ganassi Racing, who's going to put them in one of their cars. Uh, unfortunately, the title sponsor for that car, uh, they had some issues with the FBI. And so oh. the sponsorship and basically the ride got taken away from Ross. Uh, so he was basically as down as you could be as being probably as high as you could be after the season he had last year. But he's rebounded. He's entered to race like 70 something races this year uh, through all of the series uh, that he races in. And uh, it's great that he got a win because if you understand the difference when it comes to the equipment that he drives compared to some of the guys that, you know, um, it's amazing that he can come out there and compete and run as well as he does. Not a, you know, and then win is just something that, you know, sometimes isn't even thinkable, but uh, just great emotion in victory lane. And uh, what's awesome is, uh, you know, I'm a nobody. I just have a podcast. I'm, you know, not even a regular covering NASCAR. But when we went back to Richmond this year, uh, Ross remembered me. And, you know, whenever he saw me, he made it, you know, a point to, you know, point at me and, and say what's up. So, yeah, I definitely have a, a real cool connection with him and I root for him. And I was just glad to see something really, really good happen to him uh, after such a terrible offseason uh, last year. So big ups to Ross Chastain getting that win in the Trek Series. And and hopefully, man, something will happen and he'll get a chance on a really good team, top-funded team, and get in a car that he can really do something with and really show people how good he is. So. Again, follow that guy, Ross Chastain. He he, any race you turn on in NASCAR, he's gonna be in it. So <laughs> he won't be hard to find. Awesome. So for our very special guest, Nick Jew, for my co-host, the Libra Icon Dwayne, I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and now you know the score.